So we've all heard uh, amazing stories of God at work in the lives of people, miraculous transformation. Uh, we've heard, especially as we talk about human sexuality, we've heard of people who uh, have struggled for a period of time with um, homosexuality or transgenderism or whatever, and then they have an encounter with God and suddenly there's a transformation that happens. There is a change and no longer is this person struggling with same-sex attraction or other things related to that. And it's an, it's an amazing miracle and it's a testimony and it's something that we need to declare and share out loud because it is a reflection of what God wants to do in bringing restoration. At the same time, we've also heard of people who are followers of Jesus who spend years and years praying and asking Jesus to take away the same-sex attraction or whatever the feelings that are going on inside of them, and it never goes away. We often look at those people, and we often say, where's your faith. We often look at them and judge them because if they just had faith like this person, then their life would be transformed. I mean, how can you say you have a life of faith if you're struggling your whole life with same-sex attraction? So the question is, what do we do, church? I mean, it's easy to gather around the people who have the miraculous transformation. It's a lot harder to gather around people who are struggling in the day-to-day life of same-sex attraction. So what do we do? I mean, what would we do if someone had been a part of our body for a long time and they were even involved in leadership and then they confess that for years they've been struggling with same-sex attraction. I mean, they weren't living it out, but it, they, they confessed it. Would we remove them from leadership? Would we ask them to leave the church? If they confessed Jesus as Lord and yet they were willing enough to confess that this is a a thing that they struggle with. I mean, years ago, it was easier to handle conversations about homosexuality because we could, it, it was clearly wrong and we could label them as a sinner. We could call it an abomination and we could tell them you're going to hell and then we can remove them from the church. So much easier. But like most sins that someone else does, it's a lot easier to judge them because that's their sin. And we judge people at times all the while not looking inward in our own sin. 
We also um, have never stepped into a relationship with a person who struggles with same-sex attraction to listen and to understand their journey, their struggle. Again, it's a lot easier to label So what do we do, church? Because times are different. Our culture says it's okay and it celebrates homosexuality in other areas of the LGBT community. So what do we do, church, today? Because in some ways, our world is a lot worse off than it was maybe from when I was younger or a child. But again, uh, there's a lot of things that are better today. And what happens is the culture pushes the boundary. Often it causes us to wake up and say, wow, are we really handling these people the way Jesus handles people? So what do we do, church? I mean, how do we handle people who are followers of Jesus, who struggle with same-sex attraction or transgenderism? They declare Jesus is Lord. They pray in like crazy that God would take whatever from them, and God doesn't. I mean, you could take this question and we could fit almost anything else underneath that. What do we do with people who have been struggling with pornography for all their life? Struggling with lust. What do we do with people who struggle with greed their whole life? Greed's a lot easier to hide. It, <laughs> we're humans, we're in this flesh. This flesh is imperfect. Yes, Jesus steps in and does miracles, absolutely, but sometimes he doesn't. One of the books on our recommended reading list that are on our website is a book called Born Again This Way by Rachel Gilson. I got to see her speak a couple of years ago, and Rachel grew up in a non-Christian home and was basically an atheist, and from a very young age had an attraction to girls, to the same sex, so she lived that gay lifestyle, and they went off to college and continued in that, and then she met Jesus, had an encounter with Jesus, um, and has been a follower of Jesus for 20 years. But a strange thing happened along the way. Jesus never took the same-sex attraction away. So we're going to show a short little interview of Rachel and hear what she is. Uh, the interviewer is going to say, in that moment of your life, and what the interviewer is saying, in that moment when you became a follower of Jesus, and then you can pick up from there. So let's go ahead and show the video. In that moment in your life, I mean, you were already into the LGBT community. So talk a little bit about of where you were and, you know, if God really changed your heart immediately and tried to uh, move you out of that, or what, what was that experience like for you? So I had had uh, several girlfriends, um, you know, actually part of my freshman year was 
recovering from a breakup, you know, teenage breakups, they can be very hard. And yes. so, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, college is a great time to meet new people. And I had grown up in a pretty conservative small town. And so I thought being at college is going to be a great place for me to actually live out my sexuality for the first time. But before I had a chance to really dive in there, that was when I met the Lord. And I, I think he saved me from going too far down that path. But at the same time, even though I responded to the gospel and I got introduced to a really healthy Christian community, pretty quickly I realized, well, I mean, goodness, I'm still attracted to women. You know, what am I supposed to do with that? And, you know, it's been 16 years since I um, started my relationship with Jesus, and, and I'm still attracted to women. So it's it's been a big part of my journey to figure out um, you know, who owns me? Is it, is it my desires or is it Jesus Christ? Yeah, I love that. Well, what would you say to someone who believes that Christianity and engaging in same-sex relationships can coexist? Because a lot of people believe that today. Yeah, and it's becoming more and more popular to hold that view. Well, one of the first things I'd want to say is that most people come to that position, come to the position that God affirms same-sex marriages usually because they've seen a church be um, unfriendly or unwelcoming to LGBT people. Sometimes they've seen Christians respond to gay and lesbian people in ways that don't look like Jesus would have acted towards outsiders, and they basically do an overcorrection, if that makes sense. They say, well, that, that type of exclusion doesn't look like love, so maybe we got the words wrong, too. And one of the things that I try to bring people to is understanding we all need, every single one of us, no matter what our orientation is, we all need the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. Yeah. If we have just the grace without the truth, it's all fuzzy, but it doesn't produce any change. But if we only have the truth without the grace, we end up crushed. Wow, that's powerful. Well, you just said that, you know, you still struggle with same-sex attraction, and I think a lot of people believe uh, many times God will just, like, take that desire away from you. How have you been able to, you know, still walk in grace and truth and um, in your own life still struggling with that? Yeah. Well, I think it's been really important for me again and again to go back to, is God trustworthy, and what does His Word say? And in the Bible— we're told that every single one of us, every single one of us has two options for faithfulness. We can be faithfully single or faithfully married according to God's definition of marriage. And luckily, it, you know, you could be attracted to men or women or both or neither or like potted plants in order to live faithfully in either of those positions because each of us, if we're called to be faithfully single or we're called to be faithfully married, no matter what our attractional patterns are, God can give us the strength through the Holy Spirit to say yes to Him and no to temptations. Because every one of us faces temptations. Single people face temptations to attach their hearts or, or use their bodies in, in ways with other people that aren't their spouses. But even married people experience being attracted to people who aren't their spouse. So I think it's been helpful for me that even though I experience same-sex attraction, in a lot of ways, my experience as a married woman is very similar to my other friends who are married, you know? They're attracted sometimes to other men who aren't their husbands, and they say, but you know what? I want to say yes to what the Lord has given me and say no to this temptation. So in a lot of ways, our battle for righteousness, mm -hmm. for lived holiness, is very similar. 
So who owns me? My desires or Jesus Christ? Rachel's been married to a man for probably about 12, 13 years and has got a couple of little kids. So even though her temptation is that she wrestles with attraction to the same gender, she has chosen to not let her own desire own her, but to allow Jesus Christ to own her. This question about who owns me, my desires, or Jesus Christ is part of what we've been talking about for well over a year regarding uh, what John Mark Comer says, deceptive ideas from the evil one play into our disordered desires, which is our flesh, that becomes normalized in our society, but is our culture. And we all have to realize that we all have disordered desires, and every one of us And so are we going to allow our desires to own us or Jesus? And so when we are in relationship or talk to a follower of Jesus, a brother or sister in Christ, and part of their disordered desire is that same-sex attraction, we can relate not to that same-sex attraction, because, but we can relate that we have a disordered desire too. We all do. And it's who are we going to surrender to? So what do we do, church? The question is, is transformation possible? And how how does it happen? The simple answer is yes. Transformation is possible. Uh, But part of the question is, Not only is transformation possible, yes, but how does it happen? And part of it is understanding that God usually does transformation the way He wants to do it in your life. And your transformation experience may be different than my transformation experience. And so for me, I want to celebrate the miracle where God stepped in did a major shift overnight, and this person has changed. Whether it's same-sex attraction, whether it's an addiction, whatever it is, I want to celebrate that. But I also want to celebrate the one over here who that attraction or that, that desire was never shifted. That desire still is there, but the person walks in daily life with their life being owned by Jesus and not by that desire. I want to celebrate that and say, yes! I want to celebrate Rachel. That's a miracle. 12, 13 years in a marriage that was designed by God, one man, one woman, one flesh, even though she wrestles with attraction to women. Romans 12 tells us about transformation, a familiar verse to many of us, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Right there in verse 1, Transformation is possible, but notice that transformation happens when I offer my body, my flesh, 
my disordered desire up on the cross with Jesus. I, I just, I'm in the flesh, I'm, I'm offering that disordered desire as a sacrifice. I'm just saying, I, it's here, but I, I'm, I'm, putting it, I'm putting it on the altar. Uh, I'm going to let I'm going to let Jesus do what Jesus does. So I love Rachel's question again, who owns me? My desire or Jesus Christ. And we see more about this transformation that is possible. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 starting with verse 9 he says, "Or do you not know uh, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just so you know, we're all wrongdoers. We're all wrongdoers. Okay? Do not be deceived. And then Paul lists some others that he, he gets down specifically. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have same sex, uh, who, who have sex with men. Again, all of us are wrongdoers, uh, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and just so we, we know, the kingdom of God is more than just heaven and, and hell. That means if I live my life today allowing my desires to own me, I'm not going to be able to walk in the kingdom of God here. The kingdom of God is here and now. We don't fully experience it because we're in these fleshly bodies. But when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and rose again, he brought the kingdom of God here. So we can live within the kingdom of God and experience the kingdom of God here and now. But it's just a matter. Am I going to walk and allow my desires to own me? Well, then I'm not going to experience the kingdom of God here and now. Or am I going to surrender my desires and allow Jesus to own me. And that is what some of you were, this list that Paul just listed. But then he says, but you were washed, that's baptized, you were sanctified, you were justified, all past tense, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. So you see, transformation happens. When you and I surrender our lives to Jesus, it's all past tense. You're baptized. You're, you're saying, in, in the economy of the kingdom, it's a done deal. We just have to learn how to live it out while we're still in this flesh. That's the hard part. It's, and I used this illustration before. Terry and I, 32 years ago, three years ago, 33, woo. Coming up soon, 33 years. We said, I do, and on that day, we were one flesh before God. We're still working on how to live that out. Okay, so, so that's, that's the kingdom principle here that Paul is trying to tell us. You are sanctified. You are justified. You are washed. It's a done deal. Now, let's work out your salvation. Let's figure out how we're going to do it day by day. Over in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, For Christ, Christ's love compels us, 
Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. The driving force behind Christ is love. And that's what we have to remember. And he died for all because of his love, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, allowing their flesh to own them, but for him who died for them and was raised again, meaning letting Jesus rule. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So when I view you, I shouldn't view you through my flesh eyes. Going, well, they're a sinner. They do that wrong. They do that wrong. I need to view you as washed and sanctified and justified. And I need to view you as one who is in the struggle to live that out just like I am in that struggle. Okay? It's, It's like, I see you. Child of God, sanctified, washed. Oh, you are beautiful in the eyes of God. And I'm going to link arms with you because your struggle is my struggle. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Again, it's all past tense. It The old is gone. The new is here. Who am I going to let own me? All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So... God is not counting my sins against me because I have been reconciled through Jesus? Then why am I counting your sins against you? Who am I to have authority to count your sins against you? You and I, we've been reconciled. We are new. Ah, we also got this flesh thing that we got to work out. But we're in it together. Woo! And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. Okay? Now that's our job. Our job, those of us who are washed, sanctified, justified, who are saying yes to Jesus, my flesh is on the cross, I'm sacrificing my flesh, I'm letting Jesus own me, now it's my job to bring reconciliation to the world, meaning I need to introduce people to Jesus. Not counting their sins against them, just introducing them to Jesus and let Jesus do the work because Jesus is the one that washes, sanctifies, and justifies Not me. I'm a little wound up today. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that powerful? We're ambassadors. God is making his appeal, this reconciliation through me and through you. Who am I to count your sins against you? 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So this is the day-to-day thing. This is, this is picking up your cross and daily following Jesus. That's why the pick up your cross is a daily task. It's today, I'm being reconciled to, to Christ today, or to God today through Christ. I'm picking up the cross, and I'm walking. This is the way I'm going to do today. And then if I stumble, it's like, forgive me, I stumbled again, I allowed my desire, my flesh, but I'm going to pick up that cross again. Oops, I stumbled again, but I'm going to pick up the cross again. Mm. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become righteousness of God. Galatians 2.20. Here it is again in different words. I have been crucified with Christ. My flesh, my desires have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Rachel is living this out. That's why we need to celebrate. She's been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer her that's living. And she's living day to day by faith in the Son of God who loved her and gave himself for her. Clearly, the gospel can change one's identity. The gospel can transform someone how that transform happens is different with each person. So what do we do, church? Well, first, as a reminder, for us, regarding human sexuality, it's faithfulness in heterosexual marriage, celibacy in singleness. It's we believe biblical marriage is one man, one woman, one flesh. This is, this is, this is our stance, and we need to be firm on that. We don't get wishy-washy on where we stand. This, this is biblical. This is where we stand. But what do we do, church? Well, here's some steps, I think, that we can take as we try to live out this life as ministers of reconciliation. First step, pray. I don't know. We, we say pray for everything, right? But I mean it. Pray. I mean, and, and I'm talking about more than than. Me offering my request. I, I need to offer my request because Paul tells us in Philippians 4. Remember, we memorized that last fall. Yes, I do offer my request. But part of praying is me listening. Listening to what God has to say to us through the Holy Spirit. Remember, we have the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit. And when we are interacting with people, the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you about your interaction with that person. Are you listening? We're too quick when it comes to prayer to just start rattling off what we think. Stop. Listen. Ask the Holy Spirit what he has for the person you are interacting with. Second step, have the right mindset. Um, It's just a reminder, it's having the mindset that transformation doesn't happen by you, 
This is not a win-lose conversation that you have with somebody regarding human sexuality. You don't have to win the conversation. Your goal is to bring that person, excuse me, your goal is to bring that person closer to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that does the reconciliation. Jesus is the one through the power of the Holy Spirit that does transformation. It's not me that does it. So I don't need to change him. Let me take that weight off of you. You don't need to win the argument. You, 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 You don't have to worry about changing him. All you are to do is introduce them to Jesus, so have the right mindset. Know your audience. We talked about this before. When you're talking to a person, what do they believe about God, the Bible, spiritual warfare? Are they a follower of Jesus? Aren't they? Because if they're not a follower of Jesus and they think the Bible is some old book of myths, to say, well, the Bible says it's not going to go anywhere. Now, it is okay for you to say, you know what, I'm a person of faith. My relationship with Jesus is important to me. And, and for me, all of my values and all that kind of stuff are, I, I, I get from what I learned from reading the Bible. This is, this is my truth. And so for me, biblical marriage is because of what I read here. You can say that, okay, so it's okay to talk about the Bible and say what the Bible says, but know your audience as you're talking. Speak convictions clearly. Know what you're gonna know what you're gonna say. I mean, think about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you guidance, and and think about it. And remember, the main thing you want to speak clearly is your conviction about your relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to know how to tell somebody, hey, this is what I was like before Jesus came in my life. This is what happened. This is why I turned my life over to Jesus. And this is what my life is like now. This is why I, serve, I, I follow Jesus. That's the most important thing, conviction you need to know. Practice active listening. Uh, Active listening is just a process that you use in counseling situations where your goal is to understand the person you're talking to. Because we're, uh, I do this all the time. When you're dialoguing with somebody, especially if you don't agree with them, you're always thinking about how you're going to respond. You don't think about listening to understand. So there's a, a simple thing to do regarding active listening. Somebody says something to you, Repeat back to them what they said. So they say something to you, and you just say, so what I heard you say is blah, 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 blah. And what you've done is you've communicated to this person that you heard them, that you understand them. And remember, our goal is to introduce people to Jesus. Our goal is to be able to continue to have a conversation with people. And so active listening. Control your thermostat. This is a word for me, just want to say. Control your emotional temperature. Stay cool. If the conversation starts to get heated, pause. Probably the best thing you could do is pause. 
Uh, manage your expectations. Um, just, you, again, it's not about you changing their mind. It's about you developing a relationship and how can you continue that relationship as the ambassador of Christ to do the ministry of reconciliation. And then the last thing, pray. Because it's always really, really good to pray. This list can be used for any conversation about anything with anybody. It, it's not just about somebody who may disagree with you or believe something different around human sexuality. Again, our goal is to be ambassadors for Christ, to do the ministry of reconciliation, because you have been washed, sanctified, and justified, and you are still living in the flesh. And so you struggle with disordered desires just like anybody else. So view others, if they're followers of Jesus, view them as washed, sanctified, justified. If they are not followers of Jesus, view them as image bearers. They are. They were created in the image of God. And then maybe God has put them in your life so that you can be an ambassador for God. Let's pray. Father God, it's so, um, so thankful that you um, sent your son Jesus to wash us, to sanctify us, to justify us. If you've been hurt today by a follower of Jesus in some way, um, I just want to, at the end of the service, invite you to come up to receive prayer. There will be some people up here in the front and they would just love to minister to you, to love you. Forgive us, Father, for the times that we, the church, hurt each other. We confess that sometimes... um, Sometimes we get stuck in our own disordered desires. Sometimes we uh, put that cross down and today we choose to pick it up again. I pray that you would um, give us boldness this week, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world that we are in, whether it's work, neighborhood, wherever it may be. Give us boldness. And then I pray that you would manifest your Holy Spirit in our lives as we listen to your Spirit, that you would speak to us clearly and that we would hear you and we would have boldness to do what your Spirit is speaking to us about. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.